Recorded live at Esto in Savannah, Georgia, this is Brand USA Talks Travel. Esto is the nation's premier annual educational and marketing event for destination marketing professionals. We brought the podcast to Esto to keep you current with new trends and tools in the travel industry. Here's your host, Mark Lapidus. Everybody I speak to is playing around with artificial intelligence. What's the most unusual thing you've done with AI? I trained it on my own face. Did it say, hey, you're a handsome man? It, well, it made me look a lot more handsome, that's for sure. But the headshot of me for my presentation here was actually generated by AI. I don't know if anyone would notice. I let everyone know that it's now been generated by AI, but that was probably the weirdest thing that I've done. And the fact that it, it looked pretty good. What made you think of it? I had seen some people were doing it. And it's the fun thing about working in this space. It's relatively easy to try a thing, right? And sometimes the output isn't maybe what you thought it would be. But at least to be able to do something like that and from my own laptop, it was just something that I thought I'd give it a go. My guest is Chris Collins. Chris is the founder of Tipidine Technologies. It's a company that specializes in creating products for the AI era, or so your website says. How did you start the company? Is it yours with other people or you're solo? Or? So it's my company and I'm solo right now with the support of my family because they have to constantly hear me talking about generative AI. So I thank them for that. How I started it, you know, I live in the Bay Area, California, so immersed in tech and I'm originally from Australia. You can probably hear from my accent, but I just love tech. Technology. You started in IT, right? Well, I actually originally started as an accountant, believe it or not, and got out of there as quickly wow. as I could over to IT because I loved it. But I've done stuff with virtual reality and virtual world, digital currencies, and so love new hot stuff. I was running a chatbot company that we sold, and this time last year, started seeing interesting stuff happening with generative AI. And why I brought up the chatbot company is because there were so many challenges that we had around a chatbot trying to get it to understand what people were trying to say. And all of a sudden, I started to play around with something that could really understand what you were doing. And I'm like, I'm all in on this. I want to go deep on it. And so, you know, I started working on Tipidean Technologies and been doing it full-time since. When was the first time you heard the term artificial intelligence other than through science fiction? Do you remember? It definitely would have been in movies when I was a lot younger. I think definitely through, you know, maybe it was a Terminator movie, sort of the bad yeah. side. Right, yeah. <laughs> and when you first started playing around with the chatbot, did it have AI in it? The original chatbots were playing around with, we had we had a little bit of AI in it. But it was more like if this than that, right? Very much so if this than that, with a little bit of natural language processing. But you really wanted to keep someone within the guardrails of what you're trying to do. So did you know that LLM was about to happen or was it surprised to you like it was for the rest of us? It was probably July 2022 that I, I started to play around a get with OpenAI. I took December off last year and I went down to Australia and I literally was in San Francisco International Airport and OpenAI said, oh, by the way, we've launched this thing called ChatGPT. And I was like, oh, that's cool because I'd, I'd already been playing around a lot with it. I was all in anyway and flew down to Australia, which is a 24-hour flight. I got off the plane and everyone was talking about ChatGPT. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. It happened that fast. And is it as active around Australia and the rest of the world as in the United States? Very much so. I think what's captivated everyone is there's two incredible pieces with generative AI. One is how accessible it is, right? So we already have the devices that allow us to use it. So accessibility is already there, right? Which often with new tech, you need a new hardware innovation. You don't with this. The second thing is, is to be able to interact with it, you're just using natural language. So we're all skilled up in how to get it to do something. 
It's just some of us know how to get it to do more and the others of us are still learning how to get it to do greater stuff. But to start, you're just talking to it in natural language. So the adoption rate is huge. Chris, what gave you the idea to get into the travel vertical? So for me, I'm, I'm across multiple verticals. What's interesting about travel is that you have large data sets and it's very text-based data. So for me, it's, it's not so much working specifically in travel. I'm working in a number of other, I work in staffing industry as well, because that's another space that's got a lot of data. That's data very specific for generative AI. Um, so that's where the interest level comes in. Could you please get into the expense area? Because I'm sick and tired of doing my expenses manually. <laughs> Our listeners hear me complain about it just about every podcast. I feel like I go to a trip like Esto and then it takes me 45 minutes to put my expenses in. I think to myself, why can't an AI do this? Here's the thing. I think we've all seen it. Literally every product that we seem to use right now, you get an email saying, we've just introduced generative AI. Right? So at some point, somebody's going to do whatever it, right? tool it is you're using, they're going to be saying, we've just introduced generative AI. We'll just ask one thing and we'll do your expense reports. Esto sold out this year, and I'm sure that many of our listeners are not actually here or were unable to attend for whatever reason, mainly because they probably just couldn't get in. So could you please give us some takeaways from the speech that you gave? So what I wanted to do is that I wanted less to tell someone, hey, here is how you should do your job, because I don't know how to do their job. What I wanted people to go away with is, here are the current tools in generative AI that are available to you, and here is the state of play of where they are right now. And so what I covered was not just, you know, everyone knows about ChatGPT, which is the text-based generative AI. I also covered images, audio, and video. And hopefully everyone to go away and go, okay, I think I can go away and at least try that, right? Can we pick a couple of those? Like, can we start with video? Yeah, so video is probably the furthest away being ready for kind of prime time. But I showed one of the press called Runway ML, where you can put in a prompt, which is the text that you put in, and it'll output a little four-second video, which is pretty fun. You can also give it an image, and then it'll animate it. And then I showed another company called Wonder Studios, where you can upload an existing video and be able to swap out the people in it. That was kind of cool. So you could take a scene from a movie and put yourself in it? I'm going to give you the yes on that, and then you can deal with the copyright issues and all that stuff. <laughs> That's a hot topic. It is a How very hot topic. How do you feel topic. about it? I feel fortunate I'm not working in legal in Google or OpenAI or anything like that. What I think is really interesting is what I've said a couple of times during the conference is that you don't have disruptive technology if no one's getting upset and if no one's getting disrupted. That's a good point. So what we're seeing right now is, is a lot of organizations saying, hang on a second, I'm not happy with how this thing's been trained, right? And on the output side, especially if we take music as an example, a lot of artists are saying, I don't like the derivative works that are coming out of this technology. But isn't that for the public to decide? Well, living in certain countries, we can make that decision, but I think it's for the courts to decide on what that means. I think philosophically, you could argue all human creations, we are creating derivative works of things that we have been inspired by or learnt off, right? And so probably the case is going to come down to people looking at and trying to define what a machine is. And now we're getting interesting really like that. deep, Chris. Yeah. We can start talking about religion <laughs> next. It's like... Because what does man really create? We only yeah. take things that are already created and we make something else out of it. We can't really create anything from scratch. It's impossible. It's going to be a while play. However, I will say this. There are companies that are trying to get ahead of this. So as an example, on the image side of things, Adobe with your Photoshop, they've got their own image generator and they have said, we've only trained off the images that we own, right? If you look at just YouTube, actually in the last 24 hours, did a big announcement with Universal Music where they're saying, look, we're doing a partnership 
partnership with Universal Music, we're trying to work out with the artists how we can do the der- derivative work and go from there. So there's a lot of different ways that this is being approached, but for all of us that use this stuff, it's, you know, I think the next sort of six to 12 months is going to be quite interesting as that all gets worked out. It makes me think that Google got away with murder scraping the internet all these years and very few companies complained about it and now everybody's on fire. I saw the New York Times filed a lawsuit. I don't blame them. It makes sense that they did. I just wonder why, I guess maybe they settled with Google early on and they figured out a way to split the revenue. I think the thing that people are saying is that at least in Google's case, and Google.com has changed a lot with generative AI, but traditionally what would happen, you'd run a search and it would take you to the New York Times article, but then you'd have to click on that article to then be able to read it. Mm -hmm. But then they started surfacing the little uh, summaries from the article. That was the leap. Yeah. So I think in a lot of people's cases, it's like, well, hang on, I'm paying for the content and I monetize the content in my various ways. On a generative AI perspective, how am I monetizing the content? And sure, it's not about the article I've just written, but your thing has become very intelligent because it's been able to read all of my articles. And it knows about a certain conflict or a certain thing because I know it read the article that way I wrote about it. So it's a curious time right now around that stuff. So looking at the travel space, because that's obviously what we're all about, have you seen anything in AI that really has caught your eye? So I've played around with, spoken to the guys, a guide geek. Oh yeah, hello Ross. Yeah, hello Ross. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? For those of you that haven't looked at it, this is Ross Borden from Matador who's created this. Yeah, it's called Guide Geek. They've got it on uh, WhatsApp and... Um, I think you just finished it for Instagram, yeah. Yeah, and on Instagram. Let me tell you what I think is interesting about that, right? Is that for a lot of experiences and travel being one of them, often when you're doing that planning or having those, at least let me talk about my own experience around travel. I do that planning, I'm going to go to that X place and then I get to that place and I'm like, geez, where did I bury that email of all the things that I did I in planning know. out this vacation? In the case of Guide Geek, and I, I showed a demo of it where I had come into Savannah and where can I eat and stuff like that. I just open it back up and there it all is. And then I can do a follow-up question. It knows the context of the conversation. It picks it straight back up. And that, especially around in multiple industries in generative AI, is really cool, right? If I've got an existing flow that's happened that I can then pick it back up and say, okay, now that I'm here, I'm now at that restaurant you recommended. What should I order? I don't have to retell it or dig through a whole bunch of things. Can I clue you into a conversation I've been having with Ross? He's probably going to get mad at me for saying this to you, but I'm just going to do it because I'd really like to hear your opinion about it. So one of the things that we struggle with in the travel industry is controversy. We're just not good with it. Like when things go off the rails, because a lot of destinations are funded through government entities, including us. It makes it challenging to step into water when you know it's boiling. I'll give you an example. So if we were to go all in on an AI and it delivered information that was incorrect or it delivered negative information about a destination, then the person who made that decision to implement that AI at their destination is now in serious trouble. I know it's all about the data inputs and whatever the data set is. So one of the things I said to Ross is, well, what if we just used our websites? Because we know all the information is cool there. And he said, well, the issue with doing that is that often it wouldn't return an answer or it wouldn't be a satisfying answer. So it's got to look elsewhere other than what you created. Well, and also you need a large enough data set for it to be able to understand how to communicate back to you in a correct way, right? So there's two things there. One is the point that you said of doesn't know every intricate detail about a certain location, right? So that's one thing you could potentially solve. There's a second part about does it know the English language well enough to be able to understand what you're asking it and then to be able to go, okay, I know what I'm looking for. I'm going to get that result back and I'm going to communicate it back to you in a really pleasant way. 
Well, what if it goes like for us, for example, let's say Brand USA implements an AI and it says, I'm sorry, what you're looking for is not available in the United States. You have to go to Canada for that. Would that be bad? For yeah, us? I, <laughs> I love Canada, believe me. In you, fact, don't have, you don't have referrals? I, you don't do referrals? Yeah. <laughs> we love Canadian tourists. Please come to the United States. Let me answer this how, how I answer across the board. So one, it comes down to which is the best large language model you want to use, and then what level of security do you want to have around that? And that's kind of a sliding scale. OpenAI being the best large language model, right? Um, however, OpenAI knows everything about Everything, which then comes down to, well, how do I then make it not get off the rails? Like hallucinate, you mean? Like hallucinate. And there are a couple of ways to think about the hallucination side. Is it one, your initial prompt that you're dealing with and the content that you're embedding into it, right? And, and then what you tell it about not going off the rails. So what I'm trying to tell you is, is that you could say, hey, look, we're just training up on our content. And when someone asks a question, I only want it to answer it based on the content that we've been trained on. And that trained content is separate to OpenAI, right? It's a process that you go through. And so it goes and looks at that content. It then brings it back into the core prompt. And then you're saying in that prompt, only answer with what is in the context here. Now, that doesn't 100% get rid of hallucination. I kind of define it like fraud. How much percentage of fraud are you willing to take where as far as billing transactions are concerned, online billing transactions, like you without cancelling everything? That will radically decrease hallucination, right? Because you're saying, here's the context, don't go outside the context of what's in this prompt. The next thing to that, and this is just comes down to all of this technology being new for us, it's going to be us getting used to the fact, consumers getting used to the fact that there could be some hallucination. And the reason is because they're using this fantastic tool. That's an excellent point. So google.com had this kind of generative AI technology in, let's just call it their basement, right? For quite a while. They actually invented the technique, the transformers. They published a paper that OpenAI, which had GPT, then built a company around. And Google had this tech working in within their system. However, they knew that it, you got hallucinations happening and all kinds of stuff happening. So they're like, well, we can't really, we can't publish it, right? Because people are going to ask about something bad and a bad result that's bad for our brand. Then next thing you know, OpenAI, because they're a startup, sort of say, well, we don't care. We don't care. And then all of a sudden the world's like, well, we're cool with this. We don't care either. Because you could almost say, because OpenAI didn't have a brand you could beat up on. People are like, well, just the technology is just cool anyway, right? And people got used to hallucinations. Then next thing you know, Google's like, well, we've got this as well. So it's what the consumer gets used to with new technology. And, you know, part of this, there could be hallucinations that who knows how long they'll hang around for. But everyone knows and everyone's trying to solve it. Chris, right now, everybody thinks of AI as being free, but it really isn't. Someone's paying. Yeah, someone is. And that kind of, I don't want to say concerns me, but I think about that a lot. How does it scale for travel searching? Yeah, so the big thing that everyone pays for is the, the GPUs, right, for it to be able to give you an answer. And, and why it's expensive is because every answer is custom custom-ridden for you. You know, compared to Google.com, it's a big search engine that everything's been indexed, so it's much cheaper. Where this is, you ask a question, it goes off and it compiles an answer, which is incredible amounts of compute. So that's where the core cost comes in. This is currently being subsidized. If you're using free ChatGPT, that's been subsidized by OpenAI. And anybody that uses it for a while quickly runs out of the trial. Yeah, well, you, re yeah, you run yeah, out of trial sure, and you gotta, yeah. you, they make you pay for it. There's two things here, right? There's going to be the traditional way where it will remain free and then we will remain free as far as monetary spend is concerned. But then we as the user are really the ones being monetized and they'll be either through our data or we'll be clicking on ads, right? They'll be starting to put in ads. So that'll be the one way, which is kind of the traditional way that a lot of the internet works. Or we may just all become comfortable with paying some kind of subscription. 
Should we be frightened of AI? I don't think so. I define ChatGPT as an intern. You should think of it as an intern, right? That, that's where I kind of see its brain at. And so what that means is you check all its work, right? And you got to be very clear when you're communicating what you want. So that's where it is as far as just general intelligence, That's how I've been using it. I used it just last week to create both an RFP and a job description, and it really helped me. I didn't use the final product, let's be clear. I mean, because it wasn't that great, but it still saved me probably 30 minutes in each case. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, exactly. And I think what it's doing is allowing you to be one more productive, right, which just everyone likes that. But I think it allows you to work areas of what you do day to day that you probably never had access to because it helped educate you. It also helps your brain creatively think. Gives you new ideas. Yeah. And you know what? Coming back to that intern analogy, the biggest difference is if you ask a dumb question, it doesn't roll its eyes at you. It just says, no problems, like feel free to ask again. It will constantly be very friendly to you answering your questions. But where does it go and where is it going to be in a couple of years, right? And what does that mean for all of us? One way I think to look at it is that there is a bit of a supply and demand mismatch in a lot of jobs right now that ChatGPT can help us out with without damaging those roles. As a good example, if you take software engineers, so producing software, having code, every single person right now that's listening to this can go into ChatGPT and ask it to code something for you. And the code it does is unbelievable. You could go and run that thing. I've heard that. I have a coding buddy that's using it in everything he does. Yeah, and everyone to some degree can be an engineer. And then people go, what does that mean for engineers? A lot of us have some software we would love to just try and build. I want that website. What about, you know, I've got this idea. I wonder if I could do that thing. But we don't know an engineer. We don't even know how to tell an engineer what to do. And the engineer's full-time busy. I think there's a lot of things that people want to do that this allows for, which is pretty exciting. There's so much to talk about, Chris. We could be at this until Esto is long gone, and I think we're the last ones in the hall anyway. Look at this. Um, how do people get a hold of you, and what kind of services do you offer to the travel industry? Yeah, sure. So best way is through LinkedIn, Chris Collins, incredibly generic name. But if you look for <laughs> so, That's with the C, folks. Yeah, Chris Collins with the C. Or you could email me at Chris, C-H-R-I-S, at Tipodean, T-I-P-O-D-E-A-N.com. Does that mean something or is it just the So it's short for Antipodean, which Antipodean are Again, people, you're going to have to explain that yeah, to me. Yeah, so an Antipodean are people of the Southern Hemisphere. And I actually think specifically, I could now mess this up. I think it's part of the Commonwealth Southern Hemisphere, so South Africans, Australians. It really has been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. And that's Brand USA Talks Travel Live from Savannah, Georgia. I'm Mark Lapidus. Thanks for listening. Engineering, Brian Watkins. Production and music from Asher Mirovich. If you enjoyed this live from Esto episode, please share it with your friends in the travel industry. Safe travels.